Welcome to another episode of the Chiefs Wire podcast. I'm Ed Easton Jr. On today's episode, Arrowhead Prize Robert Rimson calls in and shares his thoughts on the Chiefs' first half. The Cali Chief and Talent Graph tackle plenty of issues in our weekly roundtable. But first, we start things off as always with Charles Goldman, the managing editor of the Chiefs Wire. Hey, Charles, what are your thoughts on the Chiefs' defensive performance during Monday night's victory? Yeah, so I I think this was the defensive performance that the team really needed to kind of gain some confidence and some momentum on that side of the ball. Kind of inconsistent um, up until this point in terms of defensive success. Really, you know, you hadn't seen a lot of these multi-interception type games where they're getting a lot of consistent pressure on the quarterback. Uh, until this point now when Patrick Mahomes was injured there were a couple of games where the defense kind of stepped up there and played some better football but you kind of saw them slide back into old habits once Patrick Mahomes got back I I think there's they're still working through trying to figure out find that identity find out you know what type of defense they have what they want to be what they can do best each and every game and it's really going to change depending on the matchup, depending on what team they're facing. But at least with this AFC West team, with the Los Angeles Chargers, they they, they have a good idea. <laughs> they, they know what they're going to be facing and, and the type of offense that they're going to have to deal with. So I think it was a good job to come out and kind of have this type of performance. They're carrying that into the bye week. They can go back and look at the things that they did well and say, hey, Okay, how, how can we make sure that next week when we go out there, we can repeat some of these things that we did well? Um, because you're, you're coming out, you're facing another AFC West rival in the Oakland Raiders, and, and they seem to be the one team that, that really is the, the, the other good team in the AFC West this season. So, um, and, and no one really expected that out of them. So now it, it's trying to build on, on that success, figure out, how they can take what happened in uh, in Mexico City, bring that to, back to Arrowhead Stadium in Week 13. Any concerns over the Chiefs' running back injury problem? You know, right now I'm not too sure that that there's big concerns over any of the injuries at the running back position. Um, Damian Williams seems to hurt have hurt his ribs. And then there was something, possibly a concussion issue with LaShawn McCoy towards the end of the game there. We still don't know right now what exactly happened. Andy Reid said after the game he wasn't sure if he was placed in the concussion protocol or if he was allowed to go back into the game. Um, so there's some confusion there. We still don't know what's going on there. Either way, if it's a concussion, he'll, he'll probably be capable of getting back in there. Uh, with the bye week happening in week 12. So really the the only injury concern there is at the running back position would be Damian Williams. Rib injuries for running backs in particular can be uh, a problem. They can linger because it's a physical position. You get hit a lot, got some big guys falling on top of you. So it can be a little dangerous and, and a little risky if it's more than just bruising. If he's got cracked or broken ribs, it can take a couple weeks for that to to really settle um, and, and be be comfortable. Um, so with with all the depth they have at the position right now, you know they've got four guys on their roster. 
have a feeling if they need to sit Williams down for a couple weeks, they could do it. it. It just depends all on the severity of the injury, which we don't yet know. We probably won't know until Monday. So just kind of... You know, keep that in the back of your mind, I guess, when we're thinking about these these injuries uh, at the running back position. I, I don't know that, that either would be severe enough where they'd go out and sign a player. Is it safe to say Patrick Mahomes had a bad game or the Chargers defense was just prepared? You know, I don't think Patrick Mahomes had a bad game per se. Um, I think there was a lot of things that kind of con- contributed to the lack of offensive success for the Chiefs think really their game plan initially against the Chargers was to come out and test them deep and it's hard to do that when you don't have a Tyree Kill on the field so I think they had to kind of adjust their their game plan on the fly once Hill got injured with that there was another I guess injury factor that kind of played into it Eric Fisher um, his first game back from injury he's playing at altitude so higher altitude and he didn't look 100%. He, he's not, um, you know, he's coming back from a groin injury, he had surgery. Um, so, so he didn't look 100% in his return from injury. He really struggled against uh, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram all day. And I, I think the Chiefs had to get the ball out a little quicker on some of these plays. I know people criticize some of Andy Reid's play calling late in the game, but I think really they were trying to hit these running back passes and these dump-offs and these quick throws in order to mitigate some of the pass rush that was getting after Patrick Mahomes. And actually worked. You look, Joey Bosa didn't sack him, or he might have hit him, I don't know. But he didn't sack him all game, which is really the important one. So these quick passes kind of are what the Chiefs went to, and um, the, the Chargers defense, for the most part, was ready for it. Um, a couple plays there, they were able to hit a couple big ones to Travis Kelsey. Um, but for, for the most part, besides those big plays, you're looking at you know running plays, quick passes, dump offs to the running back. So um, and, and like I said, I think the defense, the Chargers defense, did a really good job. They're one of the better defenses in the AFC right now. the The problem is, you know, they've got some injuries on the back end, and it's it's. Yeah, it's hard to play a full 16-game NFL season um, and come out fully healthy. So I'm not sure that they have the depth at certain positions, linebacker positions, another one, where they can really find success week in and week out and and fully shut down a team on, on the defensive side. But um, you gotta you gotta take your hats off and, and give credit where it's due. So the Chargers defense did do a good job. It's probably the best job they've they've done so far against Patrick Mahomes. They'll certainly look to build off of that performance and the way they limited him uh, in the last game of the season, assuming that Mahomes is out there and playing. And before you go, are there any particular stories from Chiefs Wire you would like to highlight from the past week? Yeah. So this week on Chiefs Wire, we've got uh, plenty of good stuff for you to check out you know we started the the week kind of looking at uh, a couple of players that the chiefs brought in for for workouts and it turns out they didn't they didn't sign either of them they they went out and they grabbed a, a fellow from the ravens practice squad um timon harris from uh, uh ravens practice squad he played with the the buccaneers 2018 undrafted free agent out of buffalo We've got a, a little quick profile on him and our uh, and our our roster move story there. 
checked out uh, the recent press press release about uh, Pro Bowl voting. Got plenty of Chiefs players leading Pro Bowl voting at their respective positions. We have a look, an updated look at the AFC playoff picture. Um, the Chiefs are, are they're looking pretty good there. I mean, this win really gave them, um, you know, a nice little bit of space in terms of, you know, not not necessarily just um, winning the division, but making the playoffs. Their chances of making the playoffs, I think they have an 80% probability of making the playoffs now. So, I mean, they really they really increased their chances there with that win in Mexico City. Now they can string together, you know, four or five more wins. They'll be they'll be feeling a lot better too. We we checked out one of the free agents that's out there and available right now. He just came off suspension, Alex Collins, former Baltimore Ravens running back, played college ball at the University of Arkansas. I don't know if the Chiefs are, are looking for a free agent answer to their running back concerns. Right now, they've really had inconsistent play out of the position. And, you know, it's always a possibility that they could look outside the organization to try and find some help. You know, he's a guy who had some off-field concerns. He's coming off an injury as well. So they're going to have to do their homework at, at, at those two spots there. But if everything checks out, I think he's worth the look. Could be a few other guys out there also that are worth the look as well. Uh, but thank you guys so much for reading the website and tuning into our show. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. For more information on this story and others, head over to ChiefsWire.com and we'll give you all the details you need on the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up next, the Chiefs Wire Podcast Roundtable. big way with a big win big win down in mexico city went down there and faced those preseason darling chargers <laughs> once again even though we're 24 of the last 26 we've won in the afc west that's pretty much domination right there i think that's as good or better than the patriots over that span <laughs> i know they lost at least two to miami in there they might not even have us with 24 of 26 i'm not sure but i like that win it was a good quality solid messy win on a field I hope they never revisit. I saw that soft spongy turf and I was like, please no injuries. Of course, first drive, down goes Tyreek Hill because I'm sure he hit some of that spongy area and his little hamstring was like I don't like this. I'm a thoroughbred. This is not for me. (laughs) We're out of this game. And off he went. And hopefully it's not that bad. It doesn't seem to be that bad from all reports and he'll be back in all likelihood against the Raiders if not, at the very least, against the Patriots when we definitely We'll want him on hand to be part of the demolition crew that's going to destroy them. I actually think they might lose this weekend to the uh, Dallas Cowboys. My friend Talon Graff is here with me today, and he's going to chime in on all these things, Chiefs fans. And let's ask him. Talon, what do you think about that? Do you think the Cowboys are going to take down the Patriots this weekend? 
you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at all that Cowboys preseason was one of my uh, Super Bowl favorites from the NFC. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. It'd, it'd make me look feel a lot better about my decision back in the preseason. Um, but, yeah, with that running game and the defense of the Cowboys and Dak Prescott has played very well this season, I could see them taking down the Patriots. Patriots have shown us that when they play tough competition, they're not as good as everybody thinks they are. And the way Dak's been throwing the ball lately, I mean, he's up there, man. He's up. He's making a push for that MVP argument. He's in the mix. He's in the mix with the top guys. And uh, after last week's game, I mean, Tom Brady's passing rating is like somewhere in the middle of the pack right now. He's been, been awful most of the year. And last week, I watched a lot of that game, the Eagles-Patriots game, and the the Patriots were begging the Eagles to beat them. And they just, the DBs were dropping balls right in their hands. There was one point where I thought they were going to get a pick and run it back. And the Patriots' right tackle did an illegal cut block downfield and took the guy's legs out from under him as the ball was about to hit him right in the numbers. No flag, of course. But, um, you know, it's that blue and silver get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, <laughs> but there was one uh, in the end zone. I think it was McLeod had one right in his chest, and he dropped it. And, like, little things like that, man, we can't have those. We can't have that uh, Tron Matthew drop against the Chargers be our only opportunity against the Patriots because they're going to give you a one or two, and that's it. you got to capitalize on those the way Baltimore did. Um, I really felt the big problem was what I said was going to come back to haunt Eagle fans. They were in such a hurry to get rid of, well, not the fans so much, but the, the media bias against, you know, Nick Foles. In such a hurry to say he's not as good, he doesn't have the potential. The potential to what? Win a Super Bowl? Oh, wait, he already did that and was the MVP of that game. He's no longer there. And Carson Wentz just didn't have it. Yeah, Carson Wentz has not looked the same that he has. And I don't know if that injury is, is has long-lasting effects that we're not even aware of, but he just, when he came into the league, he exploded into the league. And a lot of people kind of lofted him to that next Peyton Manning kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, then he tore his ACL and nothing has been the same since. And so I don't know if what the Eagles plans to do with him are, but Hey, they need to figure something out because Carson Wentz has not been that same guy. And it doesn't help when your, your speed receiver is 55 years old and killing my fantasy football team. Thank you Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't stay healthy. Couldn't He played one game this year and then got back from one more and was done. Or did he even get back for that one? I can't remember. Uh, if he got back for it, he only I don't even know if he lasted a whole quarter. Yeah, and they counted on him to be their speed guy. And I think that was a bad decision going into the season to begin with. In that last game, Arcega Whiteside and Aguilar had a couple chances. Whitesides was more egregious, that drop right in front of the end zone. I mean, he catches that and falls backwards. He's in the end zone. And uh, Nelson Aguilar was over the shoulder. But the big thing about that one was it went through it like a second too late. It, I, I would watch that pass, and I was like, that's shades of Elvis Gerbach throwing to Lake Dawson in the AFC Championship against the Broncos. A second earlier, we're going to the Super Bowl. A second late, it's knocked out of bounds. With Aguilar, it wasn't knocked away. He just was just he had to slow up to get it, and the guy ran into him and made a good play. Yeah, unfortunately, the Eagles led a lot of opportunities to beat the Patriots. They, they just let it slip right through their hands, metaphorically and realistically. Um but yeah, Eagles probably should have won that game. They just they they more lost it than the Patriots winning it. And that's why I feel like the Dallas Cowboys are going to go into Foxborough and go, "You're not the best team in America right now. America's team is going to take their title back at least for a day." And I'm looking forward to watching that happen. Any other upsets over the weekend that you really that really stuck out to you? 
Um, I wouldn't call it an upset, but I really expected the Raiders to beat the Bengals a lot worse than they did. I mean, that that game was never really no. solidified. You always kind of felt like the Bengals were always in it. Yep. And I think it ended up being like a what seven-point win for the Raiders, which against the winless, hapless Bengals team that is the worst in the NFL right now, yeah. you know, I would call that. Second-start quarterback. Exactly. I wouldn't say that's an upset. I mean, because it's not technically a loss. But, you know, I feel pretty good about the Raiders team now that seeing what they did against the Bengals. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be putting up the big challenge that Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football seems to think. Uh, <laughs> he thinks that the Raiders are going to usurp the Chiefs in the AFC West, and uh, I think he's going to be wearing a barrel again because he said he's going to wear a barrel <laughs> if they don't win. I'm like, all right, buddy. Uh, but I got some other uh, news on one of the Good Morning Football people. Nate Burleson had a nice little uh, commentary about the Chargers-Chiefs game, about the run defense, which I won't get into at first, but let's just talk about the game first. What was your overall uh, assessment of the game? Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was, you know, down in Mexico City with the altitude and, and the, the turf conditions or the field conditions, I should say. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, I felt like we were about to blow it open there in about the third quarter, and mm-hmm. we just didn't. I feel like the play calling kind of changed. I feel like our momentum just kind of slipped away from us, and, and we allowed the Chargers to stay in the game. And if it wasn't for our pass rush putting pressure on Phillip Rivers and forcing some of these throws where our guys went up and got it, you know, I think this is – potentially a, a another upset loss for the Chiefs, but luckily our defense did what they were supposed to do. They took advantage of that poor offensive line and, and really got in Rivers' face, and Rivers threw four interceptions, one of which really wasn't his fault. Um, and then, you know, Daniel Sorensen, as bad as he played throughout the game, he made the game-sealing interception, and here we are talking about the Chiefs being victors and still leading the AFC West. Yeah, everybody's picking on Dan this week. He, I mean, he had eight tackles. He led the team in tackles in the game because they were going his way a lot, but he, at least he was putting the guy on the ground. He wasn't getting roasted for huge yards typically, and that pick at the end of the game was huge. Obviously, you know, 6-2 versus 5-10, not a good decision by uh, Phillip Rivers. But uh, he did, I mean, he came through when he needed to, and he had a couple other good plays against uh, the run earlier in the game as well. Um I don't take it that hardly because uh, looking at what happened during the course of the game, we lost Tyree Kill in the first drive. Again, much like early in the season, that that sucked. Um, and then losing McCoy and Damian Williams. We lost Damian Williams before halftime. We lost McCoy, and, and we're running with Darrell Williams. I don't even know if Darwin Thompson was dressed. I was just like, we're down to one you know, back with real carrying experience other than Sherm. So what do we got? What are we going to do? And the fact that, you know, they tightened up the reins a bit. I wasn't thrilled with that. I would have liked a little more stretch the field play calling. Um, still had Watkins, still had Pringle, still had Demarcus Robinson, who I blame for that interception. Sorry, D-Rob, but uh, you don't you don't fade up the field and drift and wait for the ball to float to you. You jump in front of the oncoming safety and get that ball. Go up and get that ball. That was people used to give Dwayne Bow a hard time for that. That was that was worse than anything I saw Dwayne Bow do as far as floating away from the football. I, I don't know how you don't see that safety bearing down on you, and if you do, you got to go up there and charge him. You got to go up there and take the charge, take the hit for the team. Let him try to go through you. Maybe you get pass interference. Maybe you catch the ball, hit him, he falls down, you land on your feet, and you run for a touchdown. But just trying to drift up the field and avoid contact, which is what that felt like to me. And Pat seemed pretty upset. It didn't feel like an I made a boo-boo move, misread, upset. It looked like he was mad. 
That's somebody who was trying to contain himself and be a good leader mm-hmm. and not cry like Philip. Somebody, I can't remember the guy's last name. He was in the game, but he seems to cry a lot. But uh, <laughs> do you think we might see the end of Philip Rivers as far as, as far as going into next season as a Charger? Yeah, I do. I honestly do. Um, with the performance he's, he's put on display this year, he, he's clearly just not what he used to be. And, and time is, is it's a gift, but yet again, it's also a curse. Um, in 16 years for Phillip, I think it's, his ability has really dwindled. And last year he was, he played so well last year. Um, but now this year he just, he's played, he's, it's, it's, he's always kind of been an interception guy. He's had, he's thrown for a lot of interceptions in a lot of years yeah. of his career, but most of those I feel like was, decision making and more so just him being a gunslinger and, and trying to force plays. But this year I feel like it's just truly his ability and he, he's under throwing balls. He's not having the same umph. He's, he's missing guys and some balls are sailing on him. I feel like it's more ability based this year. And that just tells me that, you know, with his contract coming up, I don't know if they will resign him um, or if he'll walk away, but either way, I, I just, I can't imagine anybody wanting to bring Phillip Rivers back to be their franchise quarterback at the price tag. He'll, he'll, uh, call for yeah and I, he seems like a family oriented guy that's not going to really want to just hang around or for the sake of hanging around with another team he's made plenty of money and an interception guy or not throughout his career seven picks to two division rivals in back-to-back weeks put together that's hard that's father time going looking you right in the eye going really mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it was like watching dan marino throw what was it five or six against the jags in the playoffs and dan just called the ball right there that was it we never saw Dan lace him up again. It was, you know, I kind of feel for the guy. I've kind of grown to like him over the years. It still infuriates me, but he's one of those guys. I think we talked about this before that if he was our quarterback, for sure we would have took him. But, uh, you know, hated playing against him because he just had that that cowboy comeback grit. He never gave up. It felt great to get the win. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's been much maligned over the last little while has been the run defense of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, for one, have been championing the Chiefs' defense and their run defense, particularly in the last few weeks, because people are lumping early season into the rest of the season. And I don't get that whole point of view. Everything else evolves. They look at other teams and go, oh, well, the Baltimore that the Chiefs beat, that was early in the season. Look at them now. I mean, you can't, it's got to be quid pro quo. You can't just say that about one team and then the other team. It's like, let's just lump everything together. Because the fact of the matter is, first of all, the Chiefs played the Ravens and the Titans, and that's a lot of running. And I think that's going to skew anybody's rush numbers. Secondly, uh, if you take the Titans game out of the mix, the last five games, the Chiefs have allowed about 98 yards per game. That's pretty darn good. And against the Chargers, they allowed, what was it, 93, I think? Yes. Yeah, yeah, 93. Yeah. And I looked into those numbers because... Usually the pundits are just hammering away at that, and they still are. There's a lot of them that are still doing that, saying that they can't stop anything, they got no defense, yada, 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 whatever. Watching Good Morning Football, and out of the blue, um, Nate gets just up about it. He's just like, listen, they stopped them. What are you guys talking about? Kyle Brandt was going on about how they weren't stopping the run. He said, the Chargers stopped running the ball because the Chiefs started stopping the run. I don't know what game you guys were watching. I was like, yeah, I was, I was watching that. And there was a lot of like minus two yard, one yard, three yard, minus a yard. It wasn't it wasn't going well later in the game as the game went along. At least it didn't feel like that to me. And I went back and watched it. And Melvin Gordon had four carries for 49 yards early on. And Austin Eckler had one for 17 yards. All those runs happened when 
the score was either zero to zero or zero to three, and I believe once the score became seven to three, I mean Eckler might have got his run right then, but all those came early in the game, and it was um, Gordon had like a, I believe a six yarder, a twenty four yarder, a ten yarder, and a nine yarder early on, and then he had ten more carries in the game. Eckler had the one for seventeen, and he had four more carries in the game. So they had all that early on, and. Eckler's four carries went for seven yards. And Gordon's 10 carries went for 20 yards. And, you know, 27 <laughs> divided by 14 is less than two yards a carry. So that's run stopped. I don't know what everybody else was watching, but Spags adjusted something and the guys adjusted their play. And maybe Frank just got in everybody's butt and was like, let's stop doing this to ourselves and got everybody fired up. And Chris Jones got everybody fired up. And whatever happened, there was a change on the field. I could see it and I could feel it. And I didn't feel concerned like I did last year where they marched down and scored and then scored a two-point conversion on us because uh, the fact of the matter was we had picked the ball off three times already in going into that last drive, and the secondary was playing better than the secondary was playing last year. And that was a huge thing we needed to correct. And everybody keeps forgetting, and you know, people like Nate Burleson, he did it. And somebody at the table, I think this morning, Dominic Foxworth was on one of the shows, uh, maybe Get Up or something like that, and he re-invoked it. They're like, don't forget, when all y'all are talking about the Chiefs having no defense, this defense is better than their defense last year, and they were one offsides away from the Super Bowl. That's how good this team is. So they've made improvements on defense. Pat's back. He's going to get his rhythm going. They're going to get Tyreek back. Eric Fisher was back, but he wasn't back. He was not 100%. And once these guys get clicking, it's going to be a different team. Uh, we just got Damone Harris. I saw that on the uh, the pickups. We got him off of the Ravens practice squad. I looked at that kid's highlight tape. That kid's a mover and a shaker, and he's of the body type of uh, Ogba and Okafer. He's a 6'4", 6'5", 272-pound kid that can move. He's got like a 4'7", and change 40. Big, strong, athletic kid, flat stomach powerful hands. He's going to slide right in there and at least replace some of what we lost when we lost Ogba. Yeah, definitely good pickup with Harris. I like that much better than bringing in like a free agency who's been sitting around or, you know, we're not really sure what he's been doing. I like the practice squad signing because not only is that guy probably going to be a future role player for us, you know, he's been doing stuff. He's been in team facilities. He's been around practices. He's in shape. He's in, he's in game shape. So that's good. I like that. He's probably going to be ready to play right away. And I'll briefly touch on the running game, just just real quick, or the running defense, I should say, just real quick. And let me just add, he's he's young. We'll probably be able to lock him up for a number of years for very cheap. And he's coming off of the Ravens practice squad, so you know he's been getting coached up. Yes, yeah, 100%, all valid points. And I'll just touch on the running defense really quick. It's not, for me, it's not so much a running defense per se. It's it's how we allow running game or running backs to always have big games. You know, we saw Aaron Jones against the Packers, and then uh, Austin Eckler had another 100-yard receiving game. That's what that's what bothers me. It's not necessarily our running defense. It's it's our defense against running backs, and, and those dual-throat running backs who are receiving threats always seem to gash us, and that, that scares me, and that's always going to put us in a position to lose a game if we can't shore that up. And we just we need our linebackers and our safeties to be able to cover better in space with running backs. Yeah, I hear you. I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, they're all pros, man. They're all NFL players. So they're going to make plays. It's not. It's on. Un, it's unavoidable. They're going to make. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's funny. It's uh, Chiefs Kingdom has seems to have this weird entitlement that if we don't beat people sixty to nothing, the sky is falling. 
we we gave up we gave up over seventy yards in the whole game. Oh, we were awful. I'm like, it's it's not how the game works, man. We gave up a lot of ground yards against the Ravens because that's what they do. And guess what? We won. The Patriots gave up a lot of ground yards and they did not win. So at the end of the day, all those numbers are wonderful, but we basically tightened the Chargers the week before. We had a much more a much more dominant um, should have won the game performance against the Titans, and we shot ourselves in the foot and did all these things that we just uncharacteristically don't do. We, I mean, especially special teams, and we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory despite 446 yards and three touchdowns by our quarterback. This was not that same game, except for yardage. I mean, Philip Rivers had 335, I think, yards or something to that effect, but he wasn't putting in the end zone. And he was throwing it to us. There's too much weight, I think, put on yards gained in grading how a defense does because I don't care if we give up a 1,000 yards a game between the 20s. As long as that score clock gets quadruple zero and we're winning and the game's over and we got the W, I don't care. As long as they don't put the ball across that line more than we put the ball across that line, we're golden. you know. And I think it was a nice little uh, comeback game for Butker. He got to get his leg going there and... A lot of guys contributed uh, Shady, that fumble, and it came right back to him. For once, we get the break, came right back to him, and that was nice. But then the headshot he took and no flag. Again, you know, chief things happening. And then this week, I just wanted to mention, if Jamal Charles by some chance hears this, I feel your pain, bro. I don't understand what's going on. They're doing a show about top 100 players, and they got 24 guys as finalists for a running back position. And they got a number of guys in there who were kind of slowish based on, you know, players now and through the ages. A number of guys there who are under 5,000 yards, a number of guys who are under 300 points, and there's only one guy on that list and in the entire history of the league that had a higher yards per carry average than Jamal Charles, and Jamal's not on that list. That's just a joke. That's proof that there is genuine Chiefs haterade in this world, in my opinion. Yeah, well, for sure. And, and the fact that Jamal was here during, you know, our playoff drafts and, and he wasn't on some of the best teams in the world, that's going to hurt his chances. But, yeah, you and I and all of Chiefs Kingdom, we saw Jamal Charles during his prime, and he is one of the best running backs I've ever seen um, up close and personal. And, and the fact that he is <laughs> is so dis- – I don't want to say disrespected per se, but the fact that he's overlooked and not mentioned with some of the greats is, is really disheartening. Cause yeah, to me, he's the best running back to ever play for the chiefs. And I think he's one of the best to ever do it. You can say disrespected. I think that's a valid, that's a valid use of that word. Even if he doesn't make the 12, he's not even in the 24. Really? You're going back to like black and white film and finding guys and trying to throw them on the list to be, I guess, fair over the ages. But, like, let's get real, man. I mean, that kid with his wheels, you put him back then. For instance, no offense whatsoever, Chicago great, amazing player, amazing story, Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers was basically Jamal before Jamal. Speed, cutting a dime, 18 inches of daylight, that's all he needs. Doesn't have the yards, doesn't have the points, doesn't have the longevity, even with the injuries Charles had. And he's on the list because he's a Chicago Bear. I firmly believe that. And it's because he's been an idol for so long. That's wonderful. But that doesn't change the fact that the numbers don't validate that situation. Anyway, that's me just being a chief homer. But uh, I think I have a legit ground to stand on with that one. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you.
that's as close as apples to apples as you're going to get for that comparison for the type of back that he is. And he's got him beat everywhere you can look at numbers-wise. And neither one of them won a championship. So that's not the dividing mark either. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this uh, bye week, getting some guys healthy, letting Andy do his magic adjustments. I'm sure he's going to look at the game tape of the last two weeks, particularly this past game and the last quarter of the Tennessee game and see a lot of, I don't know, lackluster play calling perhaps. And maybe it was by design. I mean, it cost us the game against the Titans, so that's not a good plan. But a lot of people are talking about how he maybe sandbags a little bit coming down the stretch and doesn't want to give too much up, especially right before we play the Patriots. Maybe he's holding back some special stuff that he wants to unleash on them. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely always a factor with Andy Reid. He's he's kind of a, a cere- cerebral assassin, if you will, when it comes to his his, his uh, his game planning and, and, and how he approaches different games against different opponents. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does against the Patriots. I know we got the Raiders before that. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm excited about this bye week, get certain guys healthy and healthier. Uh, I'm interested to see who we bring in, if anybody, for that running back attack. Um, I'm sure they're you know, I've seen a few names thrown out, but yeah, Andy Reid, mm-hmm. he has something in, in his back pocket for that Patriots game. I know he's been probably thinking about that for a long time, ever since that AFC championship loss and uh, as many chiefs has. So yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. That loss is the ember that's kept the fire burning all season long. I'm looking forward to seeing Patrick continue on at full strength. Looking forward to watching this team keep coming together. This defense keep gelling and getting stronger in the system that Spags has and watching Andy unleash some of those plays next week against the Raiders since there's no game this week. And uh, hopefully he saves up some really special stuff and we go up to Foxborough and take that W from the Patriots. As always, I want to say thank you to my friend Talon Graff for coming on the show again this week and uh, discussing some Chiefs news. Of course, Dan. I always love talking to you. I look forward to it every week. And, um, and yeah, I, I like the conversation that we had over the bye week, and I think it was a good one. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Meanwhile, Chiefs Kingdom, my next guest is the girl with the golden voice. I'm speaking to Hong Forrest, the Chiefs fan girl. How you doing, Hong? I'm doing great. Dan, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. I've had better days. I'll be honest, Chiefs Kingdom. I'm sick as a dog. I've been fighting the flu for about three weeks and I've never been like this before and it's bothering me and you might hear it in my crackly voice once in a while but let's just call that manly musk I don't know whatever it's just <laughs> it's just uh, it's got to go this this bug has got to get out of my system well it's a good thing it's bye week Dan and you can have some extra days to recover then <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm the one that was uh was really adamant that we not skip this week and take some time off and Make sure we get a show out there. And everybody's like, yeah, maybe you're right. We should do that. And here we are. And here I am sounding like a cackly old witch. But uh, anyway, on we go. How did you feel after that game in Mexico City? I felt really good. A win. Anytime we get a win, obviously that feels fantastic. But for us to come off of a game in Tennessee where we should have won, and right. I was thinking lots of you because I know you were there, yep. um, but coming off of a game that I felt we should have won to come into this game and be able to get away with the dub, it really felt fantastic. I was very, very relieved to go into the bye week with this win, especially knowing that we will face a tremendous AFC opponent here, AFC, an AFC West opponent nonetheless, uh, coming back from the bye. Yes, I was there in Tennessee, and I traveled down there by myself. And a few times when I coughed, I coughed so hard, like a pulse went up my back of my skull, and I felt like I was going to black out, which is a horrible feeling when you're driving down the highway. And I was there for my team, and 
the win didn't happen. It almost happened. We had Chris Jones blowing us kisses, and it looked like we were going to come away victorious and just kept firing that six gun into our feet. I don't know what happened there, but uh, it was a game we should have won. And contradictorily, this game, while Philip Rivers put up a lot of numbers, he also put up a lot of interceptions. He didn't put up the touchdowns that Patrick did in that last game. So it wasn't exactly the same, but we kind of uber Tennessee tightened the Chargers in that game. And I really like that turnaround. The thing that was interesting to me, though, after the fact, I always like, I'm like, how are the pundits going to take this? Or how are they going to explain this away or be, you know, down on the Chiefs about something here? And it was about Patrick Mahomes not having a Patrick Mahomes game. I'm like, wait a minute. He had 182 yards passing, threw a touchdown, and ran for 60 yards. That's a great game by Lamar Jackson. Right. And yet, and that's what's putting, that's what's thrusting Lamar into the MVP race. But for Pat Mahomes, it's a bad day at the office. Nice double standard. We are extremely spoiled, are we not? We are. And I just feel like, unfortunately, the punditry around the country expects so much from Patrick that it's like hurting his, I don't know, not his image, but his, uh, the way he's perceived, it's like he's not in the MVP race really right now. He's outside the top three in in a lot of people's eyes. And I honestly don't get it because when I look at the competition that the Ravens have faced, granted they've had a nice little string of runs this this last three games was the Patriots and the Texans, and they got the Rams coming up this week. So that's going to be really telling for them. They have the Rams this week and the 49ers next week, I believe. So that's really going to tell what that team's about against the really stout defense. But earlier in the season, they had two games against the Bengals. They lost to the Browns. They played the uh, Miami Dolphins in week one and the Cardinals in week two, and they were both hot garbage. I mean, like that's not exactly the strongest schedule that's put them at this 9-1 spot. And I feel like if Kansas City had a similar schedule, they might have a similar record. And we also were missing our quarterback for almost three games. So there's that. Absolutely. And with all that, too, I, I will go to say that it's interesting because we are so spoiled, too, but Patrick Mahomes' numbers for having missed 10 quarters of football, yep. he's right up there in terms of numbers. But right now, not everybody agrees that he should be in the running quite yet for MVP. As you can see, I believe Lamar um, is at the top of that game right now. I think Russell is right behind him there, but they're not, they're counting Patrick out as of right now. But I believe that Patrick is one of those athletes that could make anything happen in these last, uh, these last couple months here of the regular season. Well, here's the thing too, the, the MVP race, as far as judging guys, it's predictive. You're based on, you're basing it on what you think is going to happen going forward based on where they are now and how you think that's going to extrapolate forward into the next coming games. And by the end of the season, so-and-so is going to be here and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down the list. And for me, like you said, he's missed what, 10 quarters of football in a little bit. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot for one quarterback to miss and still be up there in the numbers. Um, There were at least three games where Lamar had fewer than – he had 163 or fewer yards passing Hmm. and only one game where he had over 272 yards passing. That would be a horrible season for Patrick Mahomes. I know what he does with his legs, but Pat's also had two games where he's run for 60 yards or more. And one of those was the Lions games where he also threw for over 300 yards. Right. And if you're looking at this, if you're looking at this season, Patrick Mahomes yards per game, 312. Mm -hmm. Like, an average. Yeah. It was 328 earlier, but in the last mm-hmm. game. 
skewed them a little bit. I believe that the Raiders game is going to bring them right back up there. Um, they've got one of the worst pass defenses in the league. That's why when Aaron Rodgers went off on them, everybody's like, oh, Aaron's the MVP for sure. I'm like, really? <laughs> and and when Russell went off on the Tampa Bay Bucks, the second worst pass defense, or the, the Tampa Bay Bucks were the worst, and the Raiders were the second worst. Those two guys went off against those two teams. Patrick goes off against everyone. He just, that's that's his game. And last week was like his least effective game, and that's largely in part to... Granted, we had Eric Fisher back, but Eric wasn't all the way back. And going against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram is not nice. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think that our offense and those starters that we have missed so much um, going into the bye week here, coming off of the bye week, they're going to need that next game to really be a few, feel, a little, feel a little bit and look a little bit more cohesive. Yeah, let's see here. I'm looking to get the numbers up. Patrick Mahomes is fourth in total passing yards. He still has 8.7 yards mm-hmm. per pass. Uh, 19 touchdowns, only two picks. Right. Where's Where's Lamar? Lamar is 19th in passing yards for the season. Also has 19 touchdowns, but five interceptions. So, you know, he's got the same amount of touchdowns in hmm. two and a half more games. So I know people are going to argue what he does with his legs, and that's, and that's wonderful. And he is a big cog to that team. Right. I'm just saying let's let judgment wait till the end of the season and let's not be so hasty to push the reigning MVP, Patrick Mahomes, out of the race that he's should be in until he's not. Until he's really, really not. And I don't see that time coming anytime soon. Uh agree. <laughs> I'd certainly agree there. There's a lot of football to be played here and this is what people will remember as this this latter half here, or a little over a half, but this latter part here of um, the regular season. Mm-hmm. It's funny because well, last last season we had the situation where he was so far and away ahead of everyone. The talk each week was, "Well, this will be the week that he'll fall off, or next week he'll fall off, he'll fall off, he'll fall <laughs> off," until like week nine or ten. Like he's not falling anywhere. You got to go get him, or it's just over. And that's what he did. And even at the end, they were still trying to argue for Drew Brees and Andrew Luck, and I'm like. Just put the numbers beside each other exactly. and put your pencil down and walk away because <laughs> there's nothing to discuss. It's not even close. At all. <laughs> and I think that my prediction when Patrick was still injured and we knew we were pretty solid that he was going to come back against Tennessee, my prediction was that give him three games and he's going to be leading in yards and touchdowns again. Like I said, right now he's fourth in yards. He's only 400 yards back. That's a game for him sometimes. And touchdowns, he is tied for... Third, couple guys with 21. Mm-hmm. Russell's got 23, which he's had for a minute. And Patrick's got 19. So 19 plus 5 is 24. He could do that next week against the Raiders. He could do that. He sure can. Coming out of the bye week, a division opponent, like you mentioned, that's had trouble stopping the pass that we have annually beat up upon. And in our building, Derek Carr is a different guy than he is at home. He is a turnover machine, not to the tune of what Phillip's been lately, Phillip Rivers, but he usually is good for two interceptions a game. And the way our defense is playing right now, this is not the defense that they played early in the season against us. When we played the Raiders and beat them 28-10, to 10, that defense gave up 10 points early and then shut them out for the rest of the game. Right. This defense is better than that defense. Now, I don't know if the score is going to be the same because the Raiders' offense has gotten slightly better, I believe, for sure. They've uh, they've come together a bit. They certainly have. But 
it's not everybody's talking about our run defense, and I won't go into it in too too much depth because I spoke with Talon about that earlier. But uh, what would you say to the fact that you know all the people talking about how bad our run defense is, yada yada yada? If you take the Tennessee Titans game out of the last five games, we're giving up 98 yards a game, not 143. And then on top of that, against the Chargers, I was watching that game, and I'm like, I seem to remember some big plays early, but I don't feel like the Chargers are running on us very well after that. Agree. And Nate Burleson, I mentioned him earlier, he brought up the fact that the Chiefs run adjusted, and they were stopping the run. That's why the Chargers stopped running, because they couldn't. And I looked at the numbers. They had, what was it, 66 yards on the first five runs between Eckler and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon had four for 49, and Eckler had one for 17. The rest of the way going forward, they had 14 rushes for 27 yards. So they were held under two yards carry. So Spags did something, the team did something, maybe Frank and Chris Jones did something, and they were like, you shall not pass this way with the run. It's not happening. Exactly. Some major adjustments were made there for that second half there. And I think it, it just like you said, those names for the Chargers who are uh, were accustomed to seeing their yardage per game per carry and they we did a fantastic job holding them. I think you do have to take out if we you know, we do have to remove the Titans game from that because Derek Henry's just a different kind of running back. I mean, yeah, his size, his power, there's there are not very many um, defenses that can really contain him. He's just a beast. We played Derrick Henry and we played the Ravens. <laughs> okay, show me any team in the league who's played those two teams and their numbers aren't skewed slightly with the run. Those two teams are built on that. And I will go to my grave saying that on his big 68-yarder, there were three guys getting held. Frank Clark and Traverius Ward are two of them. And on Ryan Tannehill's, I went and looked at it after I looked at the highlights. Mm-hmm thing I didn't notice because I was in the 300 box. It was way up there. Um, on Ryan Tannehill's big third and 10 run late in the game, Dion Lewis grabbed Ben Neiman by the arm and swung him around. Yep. Held onto his wrist and swung him around in a circle to stop him from getting to the quarterback. Right. I'm just saying third and 20 from your own 25 or 30 is a big difference than that huge gain that he had on that play. And that might have been enough to just get the Chiefs defense fired up and stop them. Because I know we as a fan group were – so loud at that point, we would have definitely made it. We'd caused two false starts previously in the last couple of drives. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like looking forward to watching this team to continue to develop. There's a lot of people that still don't think the Chiefs are playing defense. I'm just, I don't know what they're looking at. Um, I think they're looking at a few plays a game and going, oh, look, there it is again. See, like always, even the commentators, I believe the phrase that was uh, not from uh, Booger McFarlane, but the other guy, I don't know his name. For Monday Night Football, I usually keep them turned off. No offense, guys. Still yes. love the broadcast. Um, <laughs> Mitch Holches is much better. <laughs> right? Exactly. Let's switch over to the hometown team. I like to get that touchdown Kansas City in like 17 syllables. Way to go, the voice. Exactly. But on Melvin Gordon's first run, uh, I think he got like six yards. Oh, Melvin Gordon goes, cuts through the middle for six yards on that first run, as is often the case against Kansas City run defense. And then they just went into hammering how they run. They can't stop the run. And I'm just like, wow, you, is there like an agenda to like, can we not let the whole game play out? This is one play, guy. And then they got another one later for 24 yards, and they got one for 10, they got one for 9, and then they got one for 17, and then they got shut down. There's a whole four quarters, buddy. There's a long time to play. And guess what? Sometimes running into that big, huge 247-pound Derrick Henry can wear a team down. 
And other times, when your backs aren't so big, running into those 300-pound linemen can slow the running back down a little bit. And that was much more the case in the Chargers game. We don't play those big, huge guys every week. Sorry. And I think that having Mike Pinnell out was a mistake against Tennessee. He's hugely effective against the run, right? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think we were all scratching our heads there. Yeah, it was was a disappointing uh, um, benching for whatever reason. It's a healthy scratch or inactive. They didn't tell anybody about anything uh, regarding injury or whatnot. So... We're left to sit here and wonder. And one thing I'm wondering, and I touched on it briefly with uh, Talon, was do you think the play calling in this past game in the last half of the fourth quarter against Tennessee, do you think the limited play calling and the, and the conservativeness is by design? Do you think Andy Sandbeck? And I mean, I know against the Chargers, we lost uh, LaShawn McCoy and we lost Damian Williams and we lost Tyreek Hill on the first drive. That's huge. I mean, he was gone early and then the other two guys – Williams by halftime and McCoy early in the second half. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to lose on offense, to be fair. That said, Darrell Williams can run the football, so the run wasn't just abandoned. And we still had a lot of weapons to throw to, so I was kind of surprised we didn't throw a little more. Um, Yelder had a couple chances to make plays, and he didn't. Blake Bell was a scratch, and and Yelder dropped one on the sideline that could have been a fumble if it wasn't for a Chargers penalty. Thankfully, they didn't get that opportunity. And then the other ones crossed the middle. And it was a catch. I mean, Travis is the best tight end in the league, so let's be fair. But it's across the middle of the field catch that I see him make every game. And it was like right to Yelder and went right through him like he wasn't even there. Yes. So that was disappointing because I've been waiting to see what he might bring to the game. Oh. So back to my original question. Do you think that it's Andy kind of sandbagging and being the sly old fox and trying to save something for the Raiders and then even a little more for the Patriots the week after? I hope that is what he's thinking, but I felt conservatives is a great word because that's what came to mind watching this game on Monday night and the game before against the Titans. It felt extremely conservative and it made me wonder why we can't, why we weren't able to make those play calls when, when we know that he is so creative at making these up, at doing what needs to be done and being creative with what he does very well. So why can't we do that consistently throughout the entire game instead of maybe just a quarter or a part of two quarters? So it's extremely conservative. Maybe he's waiting for that Raiders game, but at the same time, I always feel like you should go out there and put it all out there on the line regardless of the game that you're playing. Yeah, and I think that in the... Titans game, I, I was the opposite in the, the last play. I wanted on a third and two, the second last drive, I wanted to see the run. I was like, let's just run, get the first down, and get out of here. Let's just kneel it off, and we'd be done. Right. Instead, we proceeded to take our, our six-shooter out and shoot ourselves in the foot. But uh, this past game, the one caveat I will add to that is I think that perhaps there is a chance that field, I'm sorry, I hope we never go there again. Ooh. It looks spongy, and there was one point during the pregame broadcast where they were talking to the sideline reporter she was down there and mm-hmm. they had a close on her and they went a little they went away to something else and they came back and did a little bit wider shot and there were two puddles behind her on the field and i'm like are we seriously going to have our thoroughbreds running around on this slop because that's that's the kind of field that maybe you don't get caught in and, and tear a knee but that's really predominantly a field you can get soft tissue injuries on where like you feel like you're it's like it's like missing a step you know what I mean you think there's one more step and there's not and you fall right or you you're going downstairs you think there's one more step and you thud into the landing and you feel that tug in the back of your leg now times that by a thousand because you're Tyree Kill and your muscles have to be completely balanced at all times because you're like a coiled spring 
And the minute you hit something you're not expecting to hit, your body super act- activates and reacts to that. And I just feel like that. Why are we doing this? I mean, how much money do you need NFL? No offense, guys, but you're you're loaded beyond our wildest dreams. Right? Can we just stop going to places where they have subpar fields? Oh my goodness. Well, and I think that's that. that prime example of Tyreek Hill not coming back into the game, even though they said that the hamstring was injury was minor. And even though Tyreek said he felt great and wanted to come back in, I think they were being extremely conservative there too, because of those field conditions. Yeah. I feel like also I, when I rewatched the game, I watched the highlights again to catch those stats for the rushes. And I realized that all those big rushes by Gordon Eckler happened when the score was tied zero, zero or zero to three. I think they got one right after our touchdown mm-hmm. and that was it. The rest of the game, they were stymied. But while in watching the highlights and then watching rewatching the game last night, I believe it was uh, Teron Matthews' interception. He was coming back, and he was he was clear for landing into the end zone. And all of a sudden, it seemed like that soft, spongy turf made a misstep, and he started to fumble <laughs> fumble his feet and, and went down. It was like oh negative yes. Ghost Rider. The pattern is full, and down went Teron Matthews. <laughs> he could yeah. have an easy touchdown return. <laughs> And then, I like know. the last the 15 yards, I think we scored, obviously, <laughs> after that. But um, those are momentum swinging plays that, I mean, it's just an extra little climax. It puts the exclamation point on it instead of just a period. You know what I mean? Right. And the one drop that he had, I was like, oh, so yes. gutted for him. Because I was like, man. Oh, my gosh. Like, it was almost gift wrapped right there for him. I think we all collectively were like, oh, ah. <laughs> And he knew it, too. He was going up for that one. I think he was hearing Louis Armstrong in his head. I see fields of green, red roses, too. I see them blue. I'm like, I can do it. I might as well just do it. Yeah, I think he was, like, looking at that field going, this is going to go all the way this time. And just, it didn't happen. And thankfully, it was was just a little maraschino cherry that we didn't eat. Got to watch our pounds and save some of those big plays for later games. How are you feeling about us coming out of the bye week and taking on those Raiders, as we we mentioned earlier? Well, I think we're facing a different Raiders team. And when we played them earlier in the season, I know we mentioned this already, their offense has improved a ton. Mm -hmm. And our defense has improved a ton. But I think that we have a great rivalry against this team. And are honestly, though, playing at home against Arrowhead. I know there's been talk over the last several home games where we lost two in a row at Arrowhead, and people thought maybe the Arrowhead advantage doesn't exist anymore. But considering we're facing the Oakland Raiders, there's always that energy and that air between these two teams. And I think we've won the last six straight home games when we've played the Raiders. And the average margin of victory? Over 15 points per game. Nice. So I have faith and confidence that we can do this. I think just like you said, Derek Carr plays a little differently in Arrowhead. So Uh I think we're going to have that advantage, especially since it's now going to be a few weeks since we've had a home game. Uh, That energy that we're going to bring to it, the players are going to bring to it. Plus, the Raiders are right on our heels. This game means a ton. And especially the Raiders coming in, having won. And you know what? This weekend, I'm a Jets fan. So if they come in... If they come in with a loss, for example, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder, which means that they'll play harder. But I think if we know that as well, we're going to play that much harder, knowing that they're still right on our tails in the uh, divisional um, rivalry. Here's the thing. We're coming off of a win, a big win down in Mexico City. We're going to be getting our guys back. Andy is one of the best ever at, at coaching up during the bye week and coming out of the bye week. Yes. And 
as much as they've improved, and I really like their rookie running back, Josh Jacobs is not Derrick Henry. Right. That's huge. He's not huge, and that's huge. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to getting this new guy, Damone Harris, yeah, looked into the lineup because he comes from the same. Yeah, he looks like he came out of the Ogba Okafor factory, like the same kind of 6'4", 6'5", 270 plus, and an athlete. I saw a video of him. I don't know if it was his first year at Buffalo, um, University of Buffalo, but uh, he was like just doing like a U U B cribs thing they were doing, and I'm like looking at him. I'm like, he looks like the same build as me when I played wide receiver, like not super cut, but like bulky, good arms, flat stomach, good chest. You know what I mean? Like I'm like that's a D end. I mean, obviously he's much taller and weighs more, but uh, you know when I was like six foot two thirty five, that's what I looked like, and I was like. That guy's playing. He's like an, an enlarged version. And I know how athletic I was at that size. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly strong. He's probably surprisingly quick. And I'm looking forward to him coming in. I mean, he's not going to be Ogba because he's young. But that's a benefit right. because I think this kid is going to be with us for a while now. If he comes in and shows anything, he's not going anywhere. And he's been practicing with the Baltimore Ravens. Right. And they are pretty famous for having some pretty talented ends over exactly. there. Exactly. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. I'm excited to learn more about him. Um, to be honest, I don't know a ton about him, his collegiate career, so we're I'm going to I'm going to learn with Chiefs Kingdom as we go here and see what he brings to the table, but I'm really excited to be able to add more depth-wise to there. I think we've really tested the limits of our depth chart this season on both sides of the ball. Right. <laughs> You know what I want to learn about? I want to learn what you think is going to happen Raiders versus Jets this week. I think that the um, Jets are going to come away with this one. I know that the Raiders are going to play well and that they're going to want to continue to play well to show people that um, John Gruden wants to show people that he's, he knows what he's doing in putting all these personnel together. But I think that the Jets can come away with this. I really do. And that's just not because I'm not a big Raiders fan at all. Sorry, sister. My sister is a huge Raiders fan. Right. But <laughs> I really believe that the Jets can go in there because, you know, it's just one of those situations where a team can be playing well and whatnot, but they can be a little overconfident going into a game. And then on any given Sunday, that other team just comes out on top. So I'm hoping for that sort of a finish this weekend and that the Jets will come out on top. Yeah, and it depends on which version of Sam Darnold they get, right? Is he seeing ghosts, mm-hmm. or is he the guy that can slice and dice with Jameson Crowder and Griffin, their tight end, and Bell coming out of the backfield? I mean, that's, you know, that guy could be problematic for anybody. Right. And and the Jets have been better than average a few times this year. Right. They surprised the Cowboys, and I think the Cowboys are a much better team than the Raiders. Exactly, exactly. Much better team than the Raiders. And I know it was just against the Redskins, but I felt that Darnold played fairly well. So um, we were kind of joking with him seeing Ghost after playing a few weeks before that. But honestly, I thought he was playing a much better um, game than he had played in the weeks before this last weekend. Yeah, he said he seemed to establish a connection with Jameson Crowder, and that's that's opened things up for him a little bit. And maybe the line's blocking a little better. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to because Max Crosby for the Raiders looks like that kid is the real deal. Exactly. He does look pretty legit there. Brian, I think Brian Baldinger called him the condor coming in with that big wingspan. And it was funny because like when he said that, I'm watching them like, what does it remind me of? A good, yeah, that's what it looks like, a big old wide-winged condor, like a, a wild turkey here in Kentucky where you're like, see this bird flying above you. Its wings are so wide. And it just comes around that edge. Right. And it's, 
I'd like to see more of that from <laughs> Tonal Passanio. Exactly. That's who I was just about to mention when you said wingspan. That's who I always think of because as tall as he already is, and of course to me, I think everybody's tall compared to my 60 inches, but his wingspan is like 7'4", I believe. Oh, yeah. Something crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked his development a lot this year. I'm looking forward to uh, things going forward. How do you think the Ravens are going to do? We already talked to Talon about uh, the Cowboys and Patriots. How do you think the Ravens are going to do against the Rams defense on Monday night? I think the Ravens are going to crush the Rams. <laughs> I just, really? The Rams have not played very well this year. And I know that they look a little bit better, but the Rams have not played very well at all. And against the Ravens, the Ravens look so good. They do. And it's a different Ravens than how the beginning of the season, um, how they looked at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But the Ravens look extremely good and they're playing very well. I know that we have our MV Pat. I love our quarterback. He, I will choose him above any and all, but if we're just looking at the Baltimore sure. Ravens, yep. I just think that Lamar is a very athletic, hardworking, very football savvy and smart uh, player. And what he's able to do, what he's capable to do, of doing, they're just a, ve- a very complete football team, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like on the quarterback side, we're talking MVP. I think um, in no order, let's throw Pat, Lamar, Russell, just because he's you know got that, and then uh, maybe Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and Dak. The way Dak Prescott's been playing, yeah. you can't ignore it. He's been playing out of his mind, so it hasn't translated to enough wins for them right. to like, pull away from the rest of the pack in their division. But we'll see. This week is a big telling telling point for. Uh, for uh, Dak and the Cowboys against the Patriots and for Lamar against the Rams, whose defense the last few weeks has been stout. Oh, They've been, I mean, right. it's a couple weeks of Jalen being there now. I think he's getting his feet set. Um, that said, it's going to be interesting to see Mr. Uh, Marcus Peters, our former chief, former mm-hmm. Ram, going up against his old team. Mm-hmm. What do you think might happen there? There's definitely, he's going to come in it, into it with that chip on his shoulder. You know he does. He's already had attitude from the very beginning because that's just how he is, you know. He, that's how he carries himself. Um, I think he's going to come in and do some damage. He didn't want to be traded. He didn't want to leave the Rams, so I think he's going to come in and play very hard. Yeah, I feel like the biggest problem for the Rams, it feels like Jared Goff has taken two big steps backwards compared to last year. And it right. seems like it started last year against Chicago, honestly. If that Chicago game happens before we play them, we bust them apart. I don't think it's anywhere near that great game that it was. I was at that loss, too. That was so awful. I want to get to a Pat Mahomes win. Can we just do that, everyone? Universe, can we work that out? Can we make that happen for me, please? (laughs) I don't want to get to a Pat Mahomes plays out of his mind and we lose the football game. I've seen two Pat Mahomes playing great over 400 yards passing, and they're both L's. I'm getting tired of this defense. Let's go. Let's have right. a game where you guys just... Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. But who? how many teams can say that? I, exactly. That's exactly. Because, you know, we talked about that early on in this conversation already where Patrick didn't have didn't have a great game according to Patrick Mahomes' numbers and standards, but we still won versus in Tennessee where he had incredible game over, what was it, nearly 450 yards, and we still lost. So Mm -hmm. where should the pendulum swing? (laughs) Let's Can we have a happy medium? And one of the things I liked in the broadcast that I did listen to the second time watching it on Monday night uh, was the 
comment they made about Philip Rivers saying, you know, normally he's like on the on the winning side of those one score losses, and you know this year he's had six of all six of their losses have been by one score. And going on about that, yeah. And I'm like, you know what else you could say that about? You could say that about every single loss on Pat Mahomes' record, right? Is by one score, right? But so at the end of the day, there's nobody else in the league that can say they're always in the game like we're always in the game mm-hmm. because Lamar's lost by 17, Brady's lost by 15 or 17. I can't remember what it is. And Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees have both lost by 15 or 17. Mm-hmm. So bring it on any team. I'll say it again any field, any generation. Give me Pat Mahomes in this Chiefs unit and Andy Reid coaching. We got a shot. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Hong? No, I think that's it. I just, you know, not ready to come out of it yet because I want our guys to get their R&R this weekend and this next, I think they report back, um, gosh, Tuesday or so. But I just want to... Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, yeah go, I just want to go into this game and have that combination of Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey all back together for a complete game. Is that too much to ask, do you think? And that defense. How about that defense? Yes. Yes. Keep it going, guys. Keep gelling. Keep getting better. Keep getting after it. Keep it going. I want to say thank you to Hong Force for being on board today. Thanks for having me, Danilo. Always a pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you again soon after maybe after a win against the Patriots. Let's aim for that. Sounds great to me. All right. (laughs) All right. Have a great one. Thanks so much. In the meantime. Enjoy your week off, Chiefs fans. I suggest you watch some uh, of the Chiefs opponents coming up. Maybe watch your dad's favorite team. Or maybe just take some time off with the family. Go Chiefs. Chiefs Wire Podcast, we are back. And on the line right now is from SB Nation's Arrowhead Pride, Mr. Robert Rimson. Robert, how's it going? We're going good, Ed. How are you? Doing well, man, and obviously the Chiefs are doing well after a big win on Monday night, and you have all these questions heading into the bye about what this team actually is going to look like, uh, the defense, and I actually want to start right there. Were you encouraged by some of the things you saw in the Chiefs' defense uh, against the Chargers? I was. um, We saw that this team, well, this defense, in a kind of clutch situation, get stop after stop after stop, which is something we haven't seen from the Chiefs' defense uh, since last year. And, uh, I mean, to be quite honest with you, what I've seen recently with, with the defense has been encouraging, because not just because they were able to pretty much win us the Chargers game, but because they've been able to get stops, multiple stops, which is everything that Chiefs fans and, and anyone that wants the Chiefs to, to do well has been asking for is just the defense to provide the offense with opportunities, and they've been doing that, and that's especially why I'm encouraged by what I see. I definitely see that, and you know, obviously the uh, big talk, you know, going into the season with Steve Spagnuolo taking over the defense. Do you feel like there is a, a big distinct difference from last year's team to this year with the new personnel? Uh, is there like a new swagger to them in a the sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a new swagger to them. And that confidence comes with knowing that uh, that your defensive coordinator is, is taking chances and is willing to change and is improving the defense as it goes. And that's plain as day. 
I mean, a lot of people's frustration with Bob Sutton was that he would just keep doing the same thing over and over again, even if it wasn't working. Spagnola has shown obvious and multiple times that he's willing to change and adapt even mid-game. I mean, we've seen games this season where by halftime the defense looks completely different. Uh, and obviously this season the defense has played different from game to game, and you see him using linebackers and blitzes and just creating pressure out of nowhere. And it's just uh, – it's Spagnuolo is doing a great job in my eyes. I mean, I don't know all the specific uh, analytics to the real differences between him and Bob Sutton, but just using my eyes I can see that it's pretty much night and day. He's taking more risks. He's adapting well. He's creating pressure where usually there is none. And he's doing it, you know, with some major injuries to his defensive line while while Chris Jones was out, while Kendall Fuller is still out. So I've been impressed with Spagnuolo for sure. Okay, then you take a look at some of their big acquisitions in the offseason. Frank Clark has gotten a lot of heat in regards to his play during the first half of the year. Do you see him bouncing back in a pretty good, like, probably bigger games as we head towards the uh, playoffs? I don't know about bouncing back, but I definitely see him making plays because that's what he is. He's a playmaker. So eventually he's going to start making plays. We saw that in L.A., in the L.A. game. Uh, all season he's been kind of what people would see as disappointing. And then L.A., he just goes back to back to back, creating pressure, getting sacks. And it's just it was basically on a roll in L.A. So I think it was only a matter of time before he started making plays at least. I don't know if he's going to be like a get one sack every game kind of guy or get two sacks and in the remaining however games. But I think there's no doubt he's going to eventually make plays because uh, that's just the kind of player he is. The matter is if it's going to be consistent or not, and of that I'm not super sure. I definitely hear that. And now we take a look. We look at the uh, offensive side of the ball. The issue with running back has kind of been a by-committee type of situation. We've seen a lot of LaShawn McCoy. We've seen some Damian Williams. What are your, your assessment of just the way the running backs have been going so far this season? It's funny because it seems like at one point in the season, every – running back that's gotten the crack at the starting rotation or has gotten the majority of the snaps, people are like, oh, that's our best running back. Oh, that's our best running back. You know, for a while it was Damian Williams because he had the starting spot. Then people saw what LaShawn McCoy can do, and they're like, oh, he's obviously our best running back. And then most recently, Darrell Williams, he had one of his best games yet. And so now people want him in the starting spot. And I think what Reed's doing with just keeping it by committee is doing well because, to me, there isn't one of these running backs that – is completely destroying the other one, you know. If I had to take my guess, I'd say McCoy is the best just because talent-wise he's the best. And even though he's kind of older, he still, you know, he has more vision, better acceleration to me, uh, maybe a little more power than some of these other backs. But it's just the fumbles that people are scared of, right? So for that reason, it's just not a huge gap between any of them. And the thing we're doing by committee, I think, is working for now. Um I don't know. I know people aren't satisfied with the run game, but I think what we have going right now is is doing okay, you know. I think if I had to guess, I'd say McCoy is the best running back, like I said earlier, but the thing Reed is doing with a by-committee kind of thing is is obviously the best solution to me. Yeah, it's definitely been its uh, ups and downs throughout the season so far, and then you take a look at the wide receiver core. Uh, You've had the injury situations with Tariq Hill, 
Uh, you've seen some stuff with Sammy Watkins when he's on the field. What is your assessment of just how the wide receivers have, you know, have how they pretty much uh, performed this season? Um, I think the wide receivers have had kind of trouble staying healthy this season. Uh, like you mentioned, the injuries to Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins. And I think they've had a hard time kind of just getting gelled together because it's been so hard for them to stay healthy. Um, obviously, we knew Tyreek Hill was going to be one of the top wide receivers in the NFL when he's healthy. Sammy Watkins, I didn't think people expected him to be so great when Tyreek Hill was gone. And, again, it's just a matter of him staying healthy. And now we're kind of waiting for him to get back to what he was looking like earlier this season. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of stayed hit and remained hidden these last two games, uh, in my view. But, I mean, we'll see, I guess, right? Uh, I'm satisfied with what the wide receiving core looks like. I think there's no real holes. I mean, even uh, DeMar- uh, even Robinson, you know, He's had his times when he's been really good and stepped up for the team. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's any real holes in the wide receiving core right now. It's just a matter of them staying healthy. Uh, what's Tyree Kill's hamstring going to look like? Is Sammy Watkins going to be able to uh, stay playing? You know, So uh, those are my kind of concerns with the wide receiving core. But other than that, I know they're going to play well. It's just can they stay on the field. Yeah, and I, even though he's a tight end, we could probably throw Travis Kelsey in that equation as well. You know, because he's, exactly. um, he's pretty much, yeah, he's having big games now. So you're kind of expecting more from him towards the end of the season. I do want to look at the uh, quarterback situation. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think the only game where he looked human was uh, this past Monday. But uh, you pretty sh- you, you know, as long as he's healthy, he is the guy no matter what. Matt Moore did a great job. Uh, just – I just want to get your thoughts on this one because we've heard about the whole Colin Kaepernick workouts. One of the teams that actually made the workout in terms of when he switched um, switched switched areas were the Kansas City Chiefs. I just want to know if you have any thoughts on the fact that the Chiefs were at the workout. Is there a possibility that maybe even next season they are looking at adding a guy like Colin Kaepernick? Um, I don't know. To be honest, uh, it all depends on how they feel about Kyle Shermer or any of the other QB3s that they can bring into the mix. Obviously, if Matt Moore wants to stick around, maybe he decides he wants to go back to coaching high school football. Maybe he said he wanted to quit after this season. I don't know. But I wouldn't be so quick to move on from Matt Moore, especially the success we saw from him. Would I be mad if they signed Colin Kaepernick? No, not at all. I mean, the guy proved that he has some talent. Uh, and is a lot of better than the a lot of the other backup quarterbacks we have in the NFL. But, I mean, if I had to put something I cared about on whether or not Colin Kaepernick was going to be signed by the Chiefs, I'd say no. Uh, but I wouldn't be mad at it either. But I think Matt Moore and obviously Patrick Mahomes provide a pretty solid foundation to where they don't have a necessity to look at Colin Kaepernick. I think it was more of a let's see, let's just see. There's just a curiosity thing rather than, all right, we need a backup quarterback. Let's see if this guy's a good backup quarterback, you know. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And, it, you know, now obviously we're we're at the bye week, so everyone's starting to think about the next couple of games that are ahead. What do you see for this team? Do you see them, you know, hanging on, winning the division, or just finding a way just to make the playoffs? What do you feel like is the – uh, the season-ending goal right now? Is it, is it just going to be make the playoffs or let's see if we can just secure the division and try to get home field advantage in the playoffs? 
Um, I think home field advantage is still in play. I mean, a lot of Chiefs fans, especially on Twitter, are kind of in doomsday mode. Like, not only are we not going to get a top seed, but we're going to lose the division to the Raiders. And I'm just not necessarily panicking just yet. Um, I think we're still going to win the division. We are in control of our destiny. If Oakland wins the rest of its games, we still have, you know, a decision of are we going to be Oakland? Do we win out the rest of our games? We're still in control of whether or not, of who wins the AFC West. As far as getting a top seed, again, we're going to have to hope for some mistakes from uh, the Ravens and the Patriots if we're going to get one of those top two seeds. So those are less for sure, but I'm, I'm more confident that we're going to win the AFC West and make the playoffs. Uh, I just, even though the Raiders' remaining schedule is easy, the Chiefs are still in control of their own destiny. We still got one more game against Oakland left. As long as we win the most important games, which this team shows they can do, I think the AFC West is pretty much a lock. Okay, definitely sounds good. And, Robert, before you go, are there any social media links or uh, any way people can follow you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rrimpsanity. That's R-R-I-M-P-S-A-N-I-T-Y. Uh, you can obviously find me on Arrowhead Pride, and uh, that's really it. That's my two. That's my two things. That's my two social media handles you can find. Yeah. Hey, those are two big ones. So definitely make sure to follow them, Robert. Thank you for your time, man, and uh, we're looking forward to a nice finish to the season. All right, appreciate you, Ed. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. All right, you too. For everyone at Chiefs Wire, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on social media at The Chiefs Wire for more information. I'm Ed Easton Jr. Check us out next time.